So be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Tonight I want to talk to you about this scarlet thread, this scarlet cord. Now, for many people, I hear this a lot, and um, I've heard this all my life from folks. Uh, For many people, they believe that the Christian religion, that the Bible is hard, it's difficult, it's complicated, it's confusing. And that may be in some cases, but if it is, it's only because we have made it complicated. It's not because God has made it complicated. He's not. Uh, We've added a lot of meaningless stuff and a lot of our traditions to Scripture. The whole thing, the whole of the Christian religion, there is only one central theme, that, one theme, one thought that runs all through the Scriptures that ties everything together. And it is not what we commonly hear. It's not a lot of what is popularly heard today. Uh, it's not seven steps to making you a better fill-in-the-blank, right? Uh, we hear that all the time. Seven steps to make you a better father. Three steps to make you a better mother. Eight steps to make you a better worker or whatever else. You'd think we were at an AA meeting instead of the church, wouldn't you? With all these steps. It's not about that. It's not about that at all. It's not about how to live your best life now. Or whatever other heresy Joel Osteen's spewing right now. It's not about that. It's not about health or wealth or how you can have miracles or how many times you can be healed. It's not about spiritual gifts. It's not about how to pray in a certain way that God will give you everything you want. And it's definitely not do more, work harder, and be better. None of that is the central message of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's not even... Now listen, I'm a Baptist guy. I've got strong opinions on this. But it's not even sprinkling, pouring, or immersion for baptism. It's not even do we baptize infants or adults. It's not do you have a formal liturgy or an informal liturgy. It's not are you amillennial, premillennial, or postmillennial when you talk about the end times. None of that is the central focus. That's not the point. And we have so focused on things that are not the message that we have failed to communicate the message of the Scriptures. We failed to communicate what God has said. And it's real simple. It's not hard, it's not difficult, and it's not hard to miss in the Scriptures. That one central message, that one central theme, that one central thing that ties the whole book together, that that, that is the focus of the whole Christian life, is this. God redeeming a people for Himself. That's it. God redeeming a people for Himself. It's not God, it's it's not us trying to get to God. And I'm glad the message is not us trying to get to God because we cannot get to God. We can't and we wouldn't if we could. Right? As James Montgomery Boyce used to say, we don't love God. We might say we do, but we don't. We don't love God. We hate God. We'd kill Him if we could. Didn't we try the first time He came? We did, didn't we? We nailed Him to a cross. In our natural state, in our natural condition, we don't even want God and can't want God until God comes along and does something in the heart. And God does that. The focus is not us trying to do better, to be more moral. We wouldn't dare if we could. But how many times do you hear that from pulpits? Do better, work harder, be good, be more good than you are already. Well, let me tell you, church, I don't know, maybe y'all have already got this in Monroe County. I don't know. 
Uh, but if you had everybody in Monroe County living as moral and upright as they could, if you got every drunk to quit drinking and every child abuser to quit abusing children and every liar to quit lying and on down the line, you know what you'd have? A bunch of good moral people bound for hell. That's what you'd have. That's not the central message. It's God redeeming, God calling, God saving, God sanctifying a people for Himself. That's the message of the Scripture. And I want you to know that the price of that redemption, the price of that redemption has always been the same. Leviticus 17.11 says it. Hebrews 9.22 makes it clear. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And I want you to know that that scarlet thread of redemption, that scarlet thread of the blood runs from Genesis to Revelation. It is the story of God redeeming Himself of people. It's no accident that this scarlet cord that Rahab used to let the spies down, this scarlet cord that Rahab tied in the window, that they said when we see that cord, we will make sure that you're safe, that you're kept alive. It is no accident that that was a scarlet red cord. No accident at all. William Evans, the great Bible teacher of years gone by, used to say that you can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. Right? Because it is the book of that scarlet thread of redemption. You don't believe me? Let's take a walk through the Bible. Now, I've been accused oftentimes of preaching from Genesis to maps. But tonight I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start in Genesis and stop in Revelation. Okay? That's all we're going to do tonight. Now, you start there in Genesis. What happens in Genesis? In Genesis, God uh, tells Adam, He warns him. He says, don't you eat of that tree, Adam. In the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Right? Don't you do it. And what does Adam do? Like a three-year-old that you've just told no, you turn your back. And what does Adam do? He does what we do. He runs right for it. And they partake of the tree. And immediately the curse of sin is passed on mankind. Immediately the curse of sin is passed on man. And what does Adam do? He does the same thing we try to do. He tries to cover up his sin. Right? Tries to do it. They go and the Bible says and they take fig leaves and they sew them together and they make coverings for themselves to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. But it doesn't work. The Bible says that God comes along and God sees him. God knows what they've done. God pronounces the curse upon Adam. And the penalty is, Adam, in the day you do this, you shall die. But what does God do? In His mercy, in God's grace, God makes a substitution. And God substitutes the life of the animal for Adam and Eve. And God right there in the garden performs the very first sacrifice. Well, preacher, I never read there that God killed no animal. Well, look at uh, the Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, I don't know how many animals you skinned, but everyone I ever skinned had to be dead first, didn't it? Right? And you couldn't just unzip it and take it off. Right? It had to be skinned. God slew the animal. Now, get the picture there. Adam had sinned, and God said the penalty of that sin is death. And before Adam's eyes, nothing had ever died. And before Adam's eyes, God slays that animal and takes that bloody skin and drapes it over an Adam and Eve and said, that is the price of your redemption. And from that moment on, every morning when Adam got up and put on his leather BVDs, he had to remember that something had to die to keep him out of hell that day. 
Something had to give us life. The scarlet thread of redemption. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel come to make their offerings to God. And Cain tries that same old fig leaf bit. He brings the best of the produce, the best that he has made, the best that he has grown, the best that he has gathered. And what does his brother Abel bring? He brings the lamb, brings the blood. And the Bible says that God accepts Abel's sacrifice and rejects Cain's sacrifice. Why? Because Abel brought the blood. Genesis 6 through 9. Man, it becomes so wicked that God's going to destroy the earth. He's going to destroy it with a flood. His wrath's going to be poured out. And God in grace uh, saves Noah and his family. Shows them grace. Noah builds the ark. He gets on the ark. He's kept safe through all of that stuff. Bible says while Noah's building the ark, he brings the animals in the ark, brings two of every unclean animal, brings seven of every unclean animal. Now wait a minute, preacher. Not a mathematician, but you can't make even pairs out of seven, can you? Can't do that. Why in the world does Noah bring seven of every animal on the ark? Genesis chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Noah and his sons and his wife and their wives get off the ark. And what's the first thing they do? There's a sacrifice. The price of Noah's redemption was the blood. It was the blood. It was the prize. Fast forward a few years later, Abraham is told, Abraham, sacrifice your son to me, your only son Isaac, on the mountains that I'll show you. And Abraham does. He takes his son and they journey to the mountains of Moriah. And when they get there, they, they, he and Isaac, they start up the mountain and Isaac says, My father, behold, there's the wood, here's the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham didn't know it, but being prophetic, he said, My son, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. They get to the mountaintop, Abraham lays his son on the altar, he's about to plunge the knife and take his own son's life because God had said so, and God says, No! Oh, Abraham, don't do it. I see that you've loved me, that you have faith. Spare your son. And the Bible says they turn and look. And in the briars, in the thorns, that'll be important in a minute, in the thorns, what is there? There's a ram caught in the thicket. And the price of Isaac's substitution was the blood of the ram. Then fast forward to Israel in Egypt. 400 years they'd been there. 200 and some odd years they'd been slaves. And God's going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And what happens? He brings plagues on Egypt. And that last plague, God says, you wait. I'm going to pour wrath out on Egypt. And I'm going to take life. I'm going to from, from the animals all the way up to the humans. Every firstborn in Egypt's going to die. Every one of them. And the only way you can escape is how? Have the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost of your house. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Right? We sing it, don't we? We sing it at Old Zion. Y'all sing that? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the price of their redemption was the blood of the sacrifice. At Mount Sinai, God claimed Israel as His own nation of priests. And in Exodus 24, 8, what happens? Moses, it says, took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance to these words. What was the price of their covenant and their redemption? It was the blood. In Jericho, this pagan prostitute heard the word of God. She believed. She saved the spies with a scarlet thread. She tied it in her window. She was saved, right? Because of this scarlet thread, just like at Passover. And later even became the ancestor of Christ. Scarlet stone sewn in the high priest's breastplate. Scarlet thread in the curtains of the temple and the tabernacle. 
continual streams of scarlet red blood flowing off the altar in the sacrifices. So much so that finally in chapter 1 verse 18 of Isaiah he cries out come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are as scarlet they will be white as snow though they are red like crimson they will be like wool. It takes the blood to wash away sins and so the story continues. On and on and on. Every day, every month, every year, every decade, every century. Wash, rinse, repeat. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the days of Isaiah. Until one day, one day in the wilderness, right outside of Jerusalem, standing on the banks of Jordan, there's John the Baptist, right? There he is and he's baptizing. He's calling Israel to repentance just like every other prophet had in the Old Testament. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to change their ways and turn to the Lord. And all of a sudden, uh, John looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And what does he say? Behold, there he is. I, I believe, you know, being a Baptist, he probably got happy in the Lord, right? There he is. There's the one we've been talking about all of these years. There is Eve's Redeemer that was promised to her. There's uh, Abel's acceptable sacrifice. There's Noah's Ark of Safety. There's Isaac's ram called in the brambles. There's Israel's Passover and Covenant. There's the harlot's scarlet cord. That's him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Right there's Isaiah's promised Redeemer that promised redemption. And here Christ comes. And after living that perfect life that Adam did not live, after keeping that law that Adam would not keep, he, at the end of his life, Scripture says the night before he's betrayed, does just like Moses did at Mount Sinai, doesn't he? And he takes the cup. And what does he say? Almost word for word what Moses said at Sinai. This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the sins of many. Does the same thing. Adam was in the garden and rebelled against God and an animal bled in his place. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the garden and Jesus is obedient and Jesus bleeds for Adam in his place there. He submits to the Father and sweats, the Bible says, as it was great drops of blood. Adam went to the tree and sinned, but Jesus goes to the tree and is obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in those same hills that Isaac walked up, those same hills of Mount Moriah that Isaac walked up all those thousands of years before, one day Isaac's substitute walks up. And that ram that was caught in the thorns back in Genesis is now the Lamb of God crowned with thorns. And he walks up that hill and he goes to the cross and dies a substitute not only for Isaac, not only for Adam, but for all the father's lost sheep. John 10, 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He does that. He died Adam's death. But not only that, Three days later, he beat that death and come out of the tomb and was raised for our justification, Romans says. You see, it's all one story. From beginning to end, it's all one story. Well, so what, preacher? So what? Right? Uh, what good is all this bloody redemption stuff? I mean, it's kind of gory. And you know, who wants to hear about this? We want to hear about good stuff. We want stuff to make us jump, holler, and scream. That's what we want, isn't it? That's what we want. Right, this blood stuff, it's old-fashioned. 
Turn some people off. It's not what we need today, preacher. We need something else, right? We want to know how to be better. We want to know how to be more successful. Uh, we want to know how to get ahead in life. And that, 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 that blood stuff kind of sounds kind of nasty and gory. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you can gag, you can wince, you can squirm, and every demon in hell can puke. I don't care. I thank God for that scarlet red blood. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption. Anything less than the blood of Jesus Christ is nothing more than Adam's fig leaves. Nothing more than Cain's produce. It's still the blood that redeems sinners from sin. And I want you to know, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. The greatest need you have in your life is the redemption that God offers us through Jesus Christ. That's the greatest need you have. Bar none. Well, all right, preacher. What is it that I need to be redeemed from? Well, look what Scripture says that He's redeemed us from. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Because of that scarlet red blood that Jesus Christ shed on Calvary, I've been delivered. I've been delivered. Once, Scripture says, I was shackled in chains in my sins. We were the prisoner of Satan. And by His blood, Jesus Christ broke the bonds of that prison once for all and set free all of the Father's sheep. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5-6 through six, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You see, when I and you, we were lost in our sins. Like Israel, we were slaves in Satan's slave market. We were, we were slaves. And the price tag on our soul said the precious blood of the perfect one that was the price. That was the price of our freedom. And Christ paid that. And not only did He pay the sin, right? Well, I'm glad that Jesus didn't just pay the price. He said, all right, I'm done. Y'all do with it whatever you want. Ain't you glad He didn't do that? Aren't you glad that He's the good shepherd who even though He had the 90 and 9 in the fold, He still went out looking for the one lost lamb? Right? When that lamb wasn't looking for him, when that lamb, listen, before Jesus Christ got hold of you, you was running headlong toward hell, just happy as you could be about it. But somewhere along the way, thank God, Jesus Christ interrupted you on your way to hell. He interrupted you. He turned you around. He comes searching. And you know where he found me? You know where he found you? He found us down in the pit of our sins. And he didn't just stand at the top of that pit and call and say, Hey, won't you take my hand and get up from there? That ain't the picture that Scripture paints. What did He do? He climbed down in that pit. He put us on His shoulders. And He walked us out of that place. He brought us out. And He saved us from our sins. He redeemed us. He ransomed us with that scarlet blood. And now safe in the sheepfold by His blood. Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Because of that scarlet red blood, my sins are forgiven. And more than that, my sins are gone. Satan may remember them. I may remember them. You may bear the scars 
of your past life. Any of you got scars from your sins? Right? They might be spiritual, emotional, might even be physical. I don't know. Got the scars from what you used to be? Right? That, uh, that person on the other side of the church aisle, they may remember your sins and bring them up. But you know what you can do, child of God? You can go to the Lord and you can say, Hey, Lord, you remember that sin I committed 40 years ago? Or, Lord, you remember that sin I committed 40 minutes ago? And you know what the Lord's going to say? What sin are you talking about? It's gone. There's no record in heaven anymore. Scripture says He has dropped our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more. That He has thrown them as far away as the east is from the west. Thank God He doesn't have them. There's not a carbon copy. There's not a backup file in heaven. None. It's been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And notice this. He didn't even forgive sparingly. Notice what it said. That He lavished on us. He lavished on us. One of my favorite texts from the Gospels is when Jesus looked at the apostles and He said, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? I didn't have to beg Him. I didn't have to say, Oh God, please, please, please. He said, It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Romans 3.24 says that we being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That scarlet red blood justifies me before God. It makes me as pure as if I'd never sinned before. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Old Zion folks, they've heard me tell this a lot. I love the way he described justification. Right? Now, we are under no illusions. Those of us who have been saved, we're under no illusions. We know exactly what we are. We know we're still sinners, right? If you don't know that, bless your heart. You need to find that out. You, you're still a sinner, right? You still fight the battle of sin. It's still there. You still fight the old nature. We know what we are. Well, how can God justify us? And we still have to fight against our sin. Martin Luther said, it's like you look out in a pasture field. Y'all got pasture fields around here, don't you? Look out in that pasture field. And he said, out in that pasture field, it's pretty, it's green, and in the middle of it is a stinking pile of manure. Right? It's ugly, it's dirty, and it stinks. And that night a snow comes and it covers that manure. And you look out the next morning, it's just as pretty and white and pure as, as it can be. Doesn't change the fact that under that snow is a stinking pile of manure. But it sure is clean and pretty and pure on top. And that's what we are in Christ. We who are sinners have been covered by His grace and covered by His blood. And His blood is sufficient to cover all the sins of whosoever will come unto Him. And we're covered by His blood. 1 Corinthians 1.30 By His doing you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption by that scarlet red blood. I've been set apart to Him. And I won't quote them all, but even all the way through the book of Revelation. It's still the blood. Revelation 1.5 Jesus re released us from our sins by His blood. Revelation 5.9 It's the songs that the saints are singing in heaven right now. They're singing You were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The Baptist version of that is there's power in the blood. Right? There's power in the blood of Christ. Revelation 7.14 John saw a great multitude that no man could number and the elder asked him. He said, do you know where these have come from? And John says, sir, thou knowest. And he says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They endured everything hell had to throw at them. 
and they were overcame by that scarlet red blood. Revelation 12, 11, the saints overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 13, on the last day when Christ returns, He's going to come and He's going to be in a white robe that is dipped in that scarlet red blood. You see, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, it's the blood of Christ. It's the story of the Bible. It's the main point of the Christian religion. The scarlet thread of redemption from beginning to end. For my salvation, for my forgiveness, for my sanctification, for my victory, for my hope, it's the blood of Christ. Now I want you to listen to me real good. I promise you I'm about done. I want you to listen to me real good. If you ain't heard nothing else, you hear this. Hear me and hear me well. There's only two ways anyone has ever come to God. Only two ways anyone has ever tried to approach God. And that's either wearing Adam's fig leaves or through the blood of Christ. That's it. That's the only two ways. And there's a whole world of people that are still trying to get to God with Adam's fig leaves, with Cain's produce, the best that I can do, the best that I am, the most moral reform I can make, the best life I can live, right? the, 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 the most I can attend church through my baptism, right? through my church membership. Listen, uh, sitting in church on Sunday, I, I hope everybody goes to church on Sunday, but sitting in church on Sunday doesn't make you a Christian anymore and sitting in a hen house will make you a chicken. It doesn't work that way. Right? You can be baptized in every church in Monroe County and go to hell soaking wet if that's the way you're trying to get to Christ. The only way you can come to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're here tonight and you've never been born again. You've never been saved. You've never been redeemed. Now I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what you've been tried. And here's where I may get in trouble, but this is the Word of God and I'll stand on it. I don't know what you've tried or what you've been told, but I know this. You cannot pray enough prayers for God to save your soul. You can't do it. If praying prayers would have done it, right? there's a whole multitude of lost people today in hell that would have been saved. Praying prayers won't do it. Being sincere enough. I have people ask me, so preacher, how do I know? How do I know I've been sincere enough? Or doing enough? Or crying enough? Or being baptized enough? Or going to church enough? Or doing anything else enough? Will never save your soul. You can search the Scriptures from now until the Lord comes back. And that enough qualifier will never be on anything that Jesus said. Jesus never said, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, sincere enough, you'll be saved. He never said that. Never said that at all. But I tell you what, if you'll bet the farm, as they say, if you'll put all your hope and confidence and trust in the cross and the empty tomb, in the shed blood of Christ and His resurrection, that is enough to save a soul. Right? You'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do enough. You'll never feel sincere enough. But I can guarantee you what Jesus has done is enough to save you. It's enough. And if you'll just trust what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, it's enough. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you're struggling with assurance. And that is one of the hardest struggles that most Christians I know face. Assurance. How can I know Right, and they'll ask me, so, Preacher, how can I know that I've done enough? Right? The same old question, Adam's fig leaves. How can I know that I've done enough? Or, here's one, if I'm a Christian, if I've been saved, why ain't I better than I am? Huh? Why do I still love my sin? I always tell them, go back and read Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about his struggle with sin, right? 
Why aren't I better than I am? How can I know that I've checked off all the right boxes and done all the stuff that, 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 that God says I have to do to save me? Listen to me. You hear this. Salvation is altogether the work of God and not you. It's altogether the work of God. It's His work. It has nothing to do with what you've done. has nothing to do with what you felt. has nothing to do with how much you have or haven't improved. has nothing to do with, with how many boxes you've checked off that somebody said you had to check off. All salvation is, is what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's salvation. What God in Christ has done, redeeming a people for Himself. Now people ask me sometimes, and this kind of shocks them a little bit. I say, preacher, when were you saved? I know what they want to know. I know what they want to know. They want to know about the time uh, that I surrendered to the Lord, right? By His grace, and the Lord applied that salvation and, 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 and made me a child of God, and that's a wonderful time. And I can tell you about all of that, and it's a wonderful story. But if you want to get down to the brass tacks of it, and you really want to press me and say, Preacher, when were you saved? You know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to say one Friday afternoon, just a little over 2,000 years ago on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, when the sinless Lamb of God went to the cross and He went there for me. And He took every one of my sins. My sins in the past, my sins in the present, my sins in the future. He who knew no sin became sin for me. And He went to the cross and died a sacrifice. And right there on the cross, God poured out His wrath on my sin. And His Son bore that wrath and died in my place and purchased my redemption there. Oh yeah, in time, when I, after birth, when I was born and come along in life God applied that there but it was there at the cross where God redeemed me listen if you've been saved that's your testimony too have you been washed have you been cleansed have you been set free by the blood of Christ if you've not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ have you been beat down by Satan's lies and all those memories of your past sins well know this child of God they've been covered in the blood they're gone they washed so tonight you come to Christ. Be washed in His blood. Right? Tonight you come to Christ and put off those fig leaves and be redeemed by Christ and His sacrifice. And child of God, tonight, let me take this burden off of you right now. Right? Let me take this burden off you. It's not about your success. It's not about your lack of success at being a Christian. It's about God redeeming a people for Himself on account of Christ and Christ alone. That's what it's about. And if you put your trust in Him, all of your confidence in Him, and none in your own self, right? not only will you have salvation, but you'll have assurance. Look to Him for assurance. Look to Him for salvation, because what He has done is enough. What Jesus has done is enough. You can never do enough, but He has. Y'all get ready to sing a hymn. There's a hymn that I love so much. We don't sing it much in church anymore. Uh, you know, we, it's, 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 got more than, it's got more than seven, uh, 11 verses, and we don't sing it seven times, right? Seven, 11 songs. It doesn't do good posted up on the wall. There's an old hymn the church used to sing that I love so much. There is a fountain filled with blood, you know, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying Lamb of God, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved.
to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And this is what I like the best. Right? When this poor lispering, stammering tongue lies silent in a grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save. Here in this life it's the blood of Christ. In life it's the blood of Christ. In death it's the blood of Christ. And even in glory it's still the blood of Christ. It's our only reason and our only hope for being there. Are you washing the blood? Are you depending on the blood? Child of God, rest in the sacrifice of Christ. That scarlet thread of redemption. Let's stand and let's sing.